All right, hello, hello. Welcome to the Eddie Conversation Podcast. My name is Eddie V. Hill, and I am your host. Uh, this is episode number 88, and joining me today is Dana Smith. Hello. And Henry Brower. How's it going? Great. These are uh, directors and producers of a feature film documentary that's currently got a Kickstarter running called 30 On. Yeah, do you want to talk, let's talk, all, let's talk about that? Okay. Sure, yeah. Um, so... We started shooting this doc in 2018, this summer. Uh, it primarily focuses on race across America, which is what they call the world's toughest bicycle race. Um, yeah, it goes 3,000 miles from Oceanside, California, all the way to Annapolis, Maryland. Um, so it's obviously a treacherous race. Um, and yeah, we found we met this guy named Tim Skipper, who is the captain of Team Skipper, and he's just an incredible athlete. He's done this race 20 times um, now, this last summer. Um, so, and he holds the record for the most crossings of this race. So, obviously, a very interesting guy and an incredible feat of, uh, yeah, resilience and motivation. And it's, it's quite a story. Okay, yeah, I was going to, I guess the, the place to start maybe for for us to get some context on A, the race, and B, how you two came to be the leading filmmakers on tracking this race. So how, what's the origin story for A, this collaboration between you two and Team Skipper, and how, because are we, are yeah. Um, so Henry and I went to film school together at CSUN, um, and Cal State University Northridge, um, and we, okay, so 2018 we started, and so we both graduated like 2017, right? You were too, right? Yeah. And, um, so we were like, you know, a year out of film school, we're like working in the industry, freelancing, um, and, you know, as a freelancer, you do all kinds of weird stuff to <laughs> find jobs. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and he called me one day and was just like, are you sitting down? <laughs> I don't remember if he said that, but he was basically like, I have this crazy thing, this crazy thing. Um, he just like pitched it to me. Um, he was like, I met this guy, I like responded to a Craigslist ad. Um, he's like looking for <laughs> people to film this race. Um, but he's also looking for crew, um, like race crew. Um, and it was funny because when I was younger, my mom used to send me like Craigslist postings as like a way to be like, <laughs> like watch out yeah. for craigslist kind of thing no it oh, was like okay. she was like trying to like help me get jobs it was like oh, kind of cute okay. but like I most thought... of it most of it was usually like stuff that like i don't even do it would be like because like you know we're both script supervisors and she would send me things for like um be like like anything with the word like supervisor in it would be like production supervisor or something <laughs> like mom that's not what yeah. i do yeah <laughs> but, um but anyway she had sent me that same ad 
like a week prior and I just kind of dismissed it but then yeah you did at one point but um um it's been a long time um and then so Henry called me and explained the whole thing and the thing about Henry is he's very um convincing when he wants to be (laughs) and he doesn't back down (laughs) um but also he's just like very enthusiastic about like everything that he does um and so he basically just like got me on board he was like it starts in a week (laughs) i've got my friend dan who is one of our producers as well got my friend dan on board like i'm gonna hit up suarez who was our dp and we also went to csun um with him um and we just kind of like threw it together in like a week and a half or something before we left we just kind of like showed up in oceanside with our cameras and um did this thing and we kind of um just kind of went in not knowing a whole lot yeah so before we before we get into how the show ran if we will I wanted to get Henry's take on kind of the same the same origin from your perspective too cuz you're the one that reached out to get this ball rolling. So what were your thoughts when you saw like this ad and stuff like how did sure. yeah you know, what's I'd love to address the Craigslist. <laughs> uh so actually just there's probably infinite documentaries documentary opportunities on the internet's classifieds, you know, who knows what interesting people <laughs> Um, but, but yeah, at the time I was an assistant camera, uh, mostly AC work. Um, and so, you know, when you aren't working, you're just kind of searching. So I saw it and I I remember it being something like looking for drivers, navigators, um, you know, mechanics, massage therapists even. And then one of the last things was like a photographer. And I was like, Ooh, I'll, I'll do this. And and shoot photography. That was my first thought. I'm like, I'm not working. I'll just show up with a camera and and do that. But really the kind of big moment was a phone call I had with Tim. And actually um, me and Dan, the producer, were meeting to talk about um, uh, a different project, Snug Fit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Um, Dan was giving script notes on a short um, and so we were meeting specifically to talk about that, but then Tim called, and I'm like, sorry, man, I have to take this, and it's, I still feel bad about it, because it was rude, but we ended up having, like, a 30-minute conversation with Tim, and Dan was just chilling, um, drinking coffee, um, but basically, Tim talked about, like, oh, we can have, like, what if we do a bigger documentary, um, and I'm the like classic what if question yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and so I'm like we can do that we get a couple cameras a couple more crew like this story is crazy um like let's do it um so that was like the spark of the doc but it was last minute it was like a week and a half away so I think I went back to Dan I'm like okay different topic do you want to go across the country and film these in you know ultra cyclists race across the country um like forget about this <laughs> this short um do you want to do this and he was pretty much like i'm in <laughs> and so yeah 
and it kind of goes everyone else started jumping aboard um and okay so yeah you had you had a week to pull together uh, a film crew of some kind to shoot this to to travel across the country and shoot this cyclist team and neither of you prior had this kind of documentary experience or is this something you can remind me on the on like the the film school background or previously on the documentary experience and how what your approach was going in and yeah I, I want to hear all about the yeah yeah um so yeah our backgrounds are in narrative um but you know i mean obviously there's tons of overlap um but we really went in especially that first time just eyes wide open and we're going to get, you know, just sh literally shoot everything. And because it was our introduction to Ram as well, um, a lot of that early footage is like, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I watch it, I feel kind of like the like kind of sense of wonder that we were all feeling um, learning about this race because we were like shooting everything because we were also trying to like learn the rules of the race and like learn why these people are doing it. Um, right. So. I think that's a plus to having never done the race is having that perspective of, um, yeah, we're kind of the, it's very, uh, actually we describe it as first person. <laughs> so it's like the whole thing. Um, yeah, I guess back to that question, I had also done one or a handful of sort of either live to tape or reality show type things. Um, so I had a little bit of being familiar with the un unscripted universe. On the camera end. Uh, yeah. Um, and how to approach it, um. But yeah, it really was, uh, I don't know, in the spirit of indie documentary, just picking up cameras and jumping in vans and, and going. <laughs> um, obviously, years later, when we did it again, we knew exactly what was going to happen. And we were, you know, we, we had a different approach to the to the filmmaking. Um, but I think the pairing We'll say you never know exactly what's going to happen on RAM. You never know what's going to happen. But um, I think that combination of the two is what makes it have a kind of unique point of view and, and perspective. Okay, yeah, I do want to maybe, I don't know if tape is take a step back or take a step forward and talk a little bit about maybe um, more context on the Kickstarter itself before we get into like the stuff that I'm mostly curious about is like process and like how did the thing go and what were the things you bumped into. but. For, for those that are watching that are less familiar with RAM, Race Across America, and Team Skipper, I know you have this mug here that you're... <laughs> I brought this for branding. <laughs> yeah, Henry's showing it off right there. <laughs> and then Dana's got the RAM, uh, the RAM sweater, sweatshirt. Hat, too. Um, so I know the, the current... Yeah, the ask right now on the Kickstarter is you're trying to raise $50,000 for post-production. Everything is shot. It's just getting it through post, which includes the editing and the, the sound mixing, the sound design stuff, the color correction, the 
all no of worries. the things, all of the things. And I know that you have it posted on the on the page. We'll have links to that down below and wherever else. We'll probably mention it. Uh, where's the what's the website? Just really quick. www.30ondoc.com. Perfect. Hundred. Yeah, we'll put. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um. Hundred and fifty hours of footage to sift through. It's just a lot of time. Yeah. So for those that like I just want to give some context on like what the story is and what's most exciting about maybe like you know because we we want we put in to support you two we put in to support team skipper and the team and we also want to get we also want to watch it at the end of the day so what yeah can we give some context on the storylines that we're following and and what's most exciting about uh the piece in general <laughs> Um, Yeah. Um, So we kind of describe it as, yeah, the first person perspective of this race across America. We are following Team Skipper and kind of Tim's journey throughout the years. As we said, he's done it 20 times. Um, We've had the pleasure to come along for two of those races. Um, So those two will feature heavily in the dock. Um, We're also going to be sourcing kind of um, um, archival material from his past races. His first one was in 1996. Mm -hmm. Um, And his two sons have done it with him. I think his daughter has done it once as well. He has triplets. Um, But his two sons have done it a a whole bunch of times with him, both racing and as crew. Um, I think the first time they were like 12. and so basically this race, I don't think we've mentioned it yet, but it's nonstop. So once you start, you don't stop. You're in vans caravanning and you're basically leapfrogging um, in like a relay. So one rider is on the bike and the other van will go up like 30 miles or 50 miles or whatever um, to drop off the next one. And they leapfrog nonstop across the country. Um, so there's not a lot of sleep happening. That's actually just an important note. Um, what separates it from some of the other grand tours of the world? So Tour de France is a a stage race. You do it in stages or the Giro d'Italia also stages, but Ram continuous, not like 24 seven. A lot of teams take seven, eight days to accomplish it. And they, some people even write it solo, um, which can take up to 14 days nonstop. Um, so. And the way that y- you can you can break that time up any, any way that you want within your team, but the way that Team Skipper does it is um, roughly 30-minute pulls, which they call pulls their, like, leg of the transition. Um, so um, it's actually how we got our title, 30 on, um, because Tim's whole thing is like, if you just focus on the 30 minutes that you're on the bike, that's all you're focusing on. You just focus on those 30 minutes and then you have your rest and you focus on the next 30 minutes. Um, we had a rider in 2018 that it was her first time. She was really nervous and, um, at the starting line in Oceanside, he kind of like pulled her aside and 
basically like gave us <laughs> our thesis statement and he was just like you know you just gotta focus on 30 minutes at a time you're gonna focus on you're gonna ride your bicycle for 30 minutes and that's all you're gonna focus on and then you're gonna get in the van you're gonna get some rest and you're gonna ride your bicycle for 30 more minutes um and so that's kind of the moral of the story is basically you can accomplish anything if you take it one step at a time or 30 minutes at a time Right. So obviously a very motivational story because it does seem, you know, impossible. Um, also, notable mention, um, our 2018 race, it was a four-person relay. Um, so, you know, you're getting back on the bike. You're on for a half hour. You're off for an hour and a half to use the restroom to eat, to sleep, and then you're back on. Um, in 2022, we had an eight-person team. And so it's kind of like a bigger operation. There are like seven vans. It's like a, it's almost like a, yeah, a caravan of sorts um, to move at that speed. Um, so the riders got a little bit more rest. Right, right. Not, um, not much, but a, a little bit more. <laughs> right. We even had an RV in 2022 that was like a mobile kitchen. Um, shout out to Maria, uh, oh, our yeah. chef. <laughs> um who was like creating meals and then like distributing them as we, as we went. Um, but yeah, ultimately it's, it's a very inspiring group of people. I mean, the, the riders or the racers and the crew, um, obviously don't sleep for days at a time. And, um, the fact that the, they're able to do this physically and mentally is, is all in incredibly inspiring. Um, and yeah, our, our racers in 2018, they were in the 50 to 60 bracket. And in 2022, they were in the 60 plus bracket. So that's also inspiring to me too, because, you know, I think, you know, it sounds difficult in general, um, but now, you know, someone who's 65 is riding across, across the country as well. It's, it's also it's, just it, an interesting thing, like on like the mental angle of like the mentality of athletes like it does there are plenty of younger cyclists that do this race but it it does seem to lean a little bit more like retiree age um and I think I can't remember who we have an interview of talking about it but I think someone said like yeah you know like as you get older you just kind of like your endurance for not just your physical endurance, but your mental endurance just kind of zens out a little more um, because that's obviously a big um, theme in the doc is just like why they do this because it's so grueling and like, but they like love it. And so like why, and, and of course Tim doing it 20 times, like what keeps you coming back year after year after year? Um, and so it's just kind of an interesting thing to kind of dive into the psyche of these athletes. Yeah, I know um, one thing Tim talks about, and he'll tell you himself in the doc, um, but how it is a really difficult couple weeks, um, but when he's um, spending the rest of his year, you know, if there's something challenging in the year, uh, he just thinks like, oh, nothing is, was as challenging as when I was in Kansas facing a headwind, like having to ride through the night or so it kind of almost, you do something really difficult and it gives you the kind of stamina and whatnot for the rest of the year. So it is, it's almost like, um, 
I don't know what other examples of it be, like when um, people take like an ice bath or something, or <laughs> uh, <laughs> or a cold shower, <laughs> or you know something to uh, kind of jumpstart it. But this is like such yeah, a right. massive like feat; training. it's for the whole year. So, it's like training your nervous system with an ice bath. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's that that is an interesting thing. And honestly, I feel like we're catching the fever. We've already done it twice. <laughs> Yeah, we've literally, last time when we dropped off one of our crew members, once we got back into town, at like one in the morning, we dropped him off, and everyone was so tired, we just kind of like said very like grumbly goodbyes, like, you know, talk to you later, and then we were pulling away, and Henry was like, I can't really tell if, like, did he have a good time? I can't really tell. I was like, yeah, I think he loved it, like, um, everyone was just tired, but we just like, we were just like, I would do this again like even if we weren't filming like <laughs> I don't know if it's just like it takes a certain personality or what but like it's so fun and exhilarating I think because you like know that there's an end point that like the suffering feels <clears throat> like romanticized in a way <laughs> mm-hmm. okay yeah does it is it is it kind of like I'm equating it to like making a movie mm-hmm. where it's got to be like a contagious energy of everybody and that common goal is just just being in the environment and having that everybody loving what they're doing everybody contributing to the to the thing like you just leave like missing that feeling it is, it is. it's kind of a similar thing of like running away with the circus kind of vibe um and it's just like a super intense period of time for like a relatively short amount of time. I remember something Dan said that kind of summarizes it also. It's like maybe three, four days in, it's like you forget about everything else going on. All you care about is getting the bikes up the course and keep, you know, you become so like locked in and you can see that, you know, we're talking about our experience of doing it, but we're also capturing people in that zone of like, we got to get the bikes up the road. We got to, you know, do the next transition, you know, wherever it's at. So that it, that is one aspect of what it's like to do it, um, which we aim to capture as well. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned the, the whys, the whys for what, why people are doing this race and why they continue to do this race. Like you kind of explained a little bit about it there, but. Can you highlight a couple of the stories that stand out that we can look forward to seeing more of or, uh, yeah. Um, so they range from maybe starting with, with, uh, Skipper himself too. Sure. Yeah. Um, so from what we can tell it, it, he has multiple reasons. I mean, he loves riding his bike. It's just like, the thing that That's helpful <laughs> gets for him out of bed in the morning. And um, also he kind of has made it a mission to bring on new people every year to his team, both riders and crew. And he kind of seems to have this like mission statement of like getting as many people involved in Ram and to have the Ram experience as he can. Like, he's done it 20 times. He's, you know, probably brought on at least or introduced at least, like, 100 people to the Ram experience over the years. Um, 
and and then there's his sons it's something he gets to do with his sons and he he's always it uh, ram always falls or almost always falls on uh father's day weekend um yeah we have some really touching sequences with tim and his, and his sons out there um yeah. and depending on how fast we're going you know it can be like i think 2018 we were somewhere it was like iowa or missouri on um, Father's Day? Yeah. No, it, it it always falls on, like, the weekend we launch. It's always, like, day two or three. Hmm. I remember cornfields. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he has several moments with his son that you might just be conflating mm. with Father's Day. Uh, a different touching father-son moment yes. that was later on. <laughs> um, but they're great because they're, they bring a lot of um, character to the, to the movie because they're, they're, brothers but they're part of a set of triplets so they're very close and they razz each other all the time and they're both um in the military matt is a weatherman and scott it was a medic and now is an electrician um so they're these like very like disciplined like dudes that do like very serious jobs but then they get together on this race and they're just like dumb kids like messing with each other and like but then they'll snap into like focus mode and they'll just be like all right we got to get up the course you do this 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 and yeah i actually i think that focus um is part of what makes team skippers so successful um and then of course we also have the crew chief bernie who's a big part of this as well but it's a well-oiled machine i mean it takes a day or two to kind of grease the wheels and um you know, find the rhythm of how we're going to keep doing this across the whole country. Um, but, you know, I know Matt has talked about how there's uh, some of the boot camp training is like sleep deprivation training. And a lot of times at the start of the race, people don't sleep for up to 40 hours or so because it's so crucial to make sure everybody is gelling and in sync. And so these kind of leaders of the team these uh i think i think they were also crew chiefs or co yeah. crew chiefs mm-hmm. um you know they have to make sure the team is functioning before they go to sleep so um yeah on average by the way probably everyone is getting about two to three hours of sleep every 24 hours yeah a good four hour <laughs> nap is like ooh, baby yeah you feel rest after four <laughs> <laughs> Um, and it's crazy how like your body is just like I feel amazing after four hours whereas like if I got four hours now I'd be like dead on the floor actually we, we'll keep answering the why question yeah, yeah, as yeah, a like, tangent yeah, on sleep <laughs> sleep is a whole is a whole thing we we, we whole thread yeah uh, an arc if you will um, just because what sleep deprivation deprivation does to people um, especially the day six or seven um you know people become very uh stripped down um in a lot of ways um as you know anyone can attest if they haven't gotten a couple good nights of sleep um so that's an interesting i guess phenomenon of ram is sort of the lack of sleep (laughs) um so to get back to your question um so the kind of why for Tim kind of answered it. it. And then it's also his whole thing of like, he always says Ram is like uh, a year's worth of life experience all wrapped up in a week. 
Um, and that's kind of his, his go-to answer for that is like, if I do Ram for this one week out of the year, I feel like I can get through anything for the rest of the year. Um, and then, you know, some of the other answers that we've gotten from other writers, um, you know, you, you get the typical answer, the typical athlete answer of just like, I just love to compete. It's this crazy thing. It's this crazy adventure. Um, cause a lot of these writers are doing it for the first time. They've heard about Ram. It's kind of got this like, kind of like <laughs> almost like a cult like reverence to this race. Like it's kind of just like in like the zeitgeist of of the cycling community well yeah because i mean when you mentioned that this is the hardest bicycle race in the world right that's that's i think that's is this is that how it's described or I that's think... kind of, yeah that's what it's kind of known as yeah so when you hear that it does feel like if i want to challenge myself as a human being as a bicycle like you know if you like bicycling and you want to challenge yourself that seems like the place to yeah put your, to, yeah test your limits and do all that yeah mm-hmm. a lot of these cyclists are like triathletes and they do ironmans and stuff and um and and but they've never done ram and and that's kind of been like on their bucket list yeah great oh no i was gonna say like i had something i don't i don't know if i i ha- if i'm built for that but i i understand the allure i know i have a buddy that like he uh i was talking to him recently he was he's a unicyclist so he <laughs> yeah unicycle across the country and he's the type to like take on he's like yeah i want to do a marathon and i'm like you haven't done a 5k yet like can you just like build build your way up and he's like he just goes all out so he signed up for like a hundred mile unicycle a century, a century unicycle race thing, and I'm like a hundred miles that's so far. But then you say three thousand, I'm like okay, a hundred seems pretty doable. It's a unicycle, yeah, they, but they'll do that in an afternoon. Yeah, yeah. Literally a few months ago, I was out with Tim out in the desert for a different race, just going to support him. Brego Springs. Brego Springs, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> so I was out there supporting Tim and two of our other riders um, who live in San Diego just decided to just pop over for the weekend. And they literally just like got they rode. It was like a six hour ride and they just like which is about 100 miles. And they just rode in from San Diego to the desert just to like say hi. And then they spent the night and rode back in the morning. Nice. It's like. That was 100 miles each way. Yeah. And they are just like, yeah, it's just like a weekend ride. <laughs> yeah, it sounds kind of Forrest Gumpy. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, speaking of Forrest Gump. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, we do ride through the kind of uh, iconic Monument Valley on the race, which there's a scene from Forrest Gump there. when he, He's running and he stops. Those big vistas in, in Utah. Yeah. So, we have this great drone shot of a bike going through in the same in the same spot with the same landscape. So, came up naturally. That's a little fun fact. <laughs> nice. It was a natural. Naturally, came up. Okay. So I don't know if there's anything left to tap into on the on the whys, but maybe that's that's a good gist of uh, the racers and what gets people involved. And I'm trying to imagine. I'm, I don't. I almost want to go back to like. The original Craigslist ad for some reason. (laughs) 
Because I'm just wondering about this Team Skipper guy. Like, is this something that he's always... Is he, is, this has never been documented in this way before. Like, he's never attempt. Like, he just... What was the inspiration for, like, reaching out initially is kind of what, I'm, what I feel is missing a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, one thing we find we when we're, like, writing about say the kickstarter or just about the film is we have two different crews we have our our film crew and the race crew um so team skipper you know has the people that make that race function and you know that's like the drivers navigators cooks mechanics um but so tim was reaching out building for race crew for he was looking people. for race crew but there was like an asterisk that was like maybe someone to film mm-hmm <laughs> But he had had someone try and film a few years ago, year, or years mm-hmm. ago, I think, that yeah. it just didn't ever really pan out. Yeah, there, there's archival, like, obviously people have, you know, filmed and took photos, and uh, the RAM organization itself also has a media team that captures teams at the start line and finish lines. And, and throughout. And, th- and throughout, so um, there's a lot of footage going into it. Um, but yeah, that's what also makes this interesting is it is, um, you know, a lot of times people getting together for the first time, like strangers meeting, just wanting, just having that same kind of call to adventure. Um, so that's what's cool. You have the, I guess, and that's the difference between 2018 and 2022. Also, we have our sort of reoccurring characters like uh, Matt and Scott, Skipper, Tim, like Bernie, the crew chief, Um and yet, then there's a whole new group of people, new writers, new um, crew, etc. He so to kind of more succinctly answer your question, he he um, was reaching out for a crew. He has kind of his like handful of go-to guys that that crew for him, um, and and some each year is kind of different. Some years it's easier to get you know more people that have done it before that know each other, um, but. This year, particularly in 2018, um, I think it had come together um, fairly quickly on his end as well. So he was just like reaching out to find right. crew because even if people have never done it before, like you sometimes you literally just need bodies to drive a van. Otherwise, you can't make it. Yeah. I mean, I was half remembering as, as I asked the question. It was like, I remember you, it was stated that he was looking for a photographer or it's like you said, maybe film this thing where it wasn't really the, that wasn't the objective of the thing. He's just trying to, he's just trying to assemble his team to do the thing again this year. It's not really thinking. Well, it was like you mentioned, he, he enjoys spreading the, spreading awareness of the race. He wants to get it out to more people. So it felt like more intentional. But it also sounds like it kind of just came up, like you said, in your 30-minute conversation that you had. It was just like a... Like threw in photographer, threw in photographer, and then it expanded beyond there to, let's film this puppy. But it was also, so it's also worth mentioning. So like that first year, we were also support crew. Like we were also driving and navigating and getting people on bikes and... um filming like on top of that it was like our first priority was um making the race happen and filming was like second um because at the end of the day the team has to get from point a to point b yeah if there's no race happening there's nothing to film right is that the is that the thought there 
Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, because he, yeah, here. Yeah, so that's part of the idea we talked about in the beginning also is because we were so plugged in, we were able to get, you know, we were right there with the whole crew. Um, But on top of that, we did, you know, have our own separate media van where we could specifically go up and set up and get the right shot. Like we were still being very intentional about how to film this thing. Um, But actually a dramatic moment in 2018 was we had a number of the race crew. um, It was just a little too much for them. They decided um, that they wanted to call it, call it a day. So I think it was about La Vida, Colorado (laughs) when two two people decided they didn't want to do the race. And also, day one in Oceanside, someone got cold feet. We're like, no way I'm doing this. I'm backing out. And so we were, by Colorado, we were three people of the main race crew short, which of course means less driver rotations, less sleep rotations, less all these things. So we kind of had this moment where we all looked at each other in the eye and we're like, there's going to be times we're going to need to start driving. We're going to need to, you know, potentially take a bike off the back of the van and set it up and get more involved to like as a necessity to help get this team across. And it's almost like one of those documentary or even journalism questions of like, if you see, you know, how much did you interact with the subject or um we became the subject part one of the subjects basically yeah so that's also where it gets very first person and when we were like oh literally put you in the driver's seat because it's like okay we we film a a dramatic sequence on the side of the road and it's like oh wait i gotta hop in and then drive my van up the road and so it's like you have moments where it gets a little the, the camera or you become aware of us more after that moment, like as the people behind the camera. And you see more of us on camera because, um, just because that's where the story went. Um, So uh, that is, was an interesting development in, in 2018, which I also think is what makes it unique. Like it's not, I'll just be straight up, it's a little bit our subjective experience of it, Um, you know, you're aware of us there. In 2022, because of the bigger team, um, you know, we knew what we were getting into. That's what I mean when the filmmaking approach changed a little bit. We were um, able to tackle it. Perhaps a li- we, we had a little more elbow room to um, film more um, intentionally in some ways as opposed to the kind of organic approach that unfolded in 2018. And that intercutting is going to be very interesting. Yeah, can you can we hear a little bit more about why you went back <laughs> after all that? Well, we were working on kind of prepping the stage that we're at now with just the 2018 footage about a year ago when Tim basically called us and was like, I'm doing my 20th Ram this year. Want to come back? And we were like, well, okay. <laughs> I mean, there's just this overwhelming sense of this this story j- just isn't finished and there's more. Something else is going to happen. There's, um, you know, this one's going to be 
post-COVID, um, it's going to be, you know, obviously a huge milestone. Um, we also just a whole new cast of characters. You know, we had Tinker Juarez, who's an Olympian mountain biker, was on. We had people who've done Ram a few times, so some people who've never done it before. So it's like almost, it feels like borderline a sequel <laughs> um, where you have more people um, coming in and in some ways bigger production value as well. Um, and when you say um, 20th, is this, is this the one that broke the world record or did you already have it at that time? I think that was a, he owns the world record for most, most attempts or most completions of the race. So was that a part of the cell? He had already had it in 2018 with, uh, I believe, 18 at the time. Um, and I want to say the guy that's behind him is only behind him by a, a couple. Um, but I think just the the 20, I mean, it is breaking the record because he's breaking his own record. Um, but yeah, just the the 20th number was a nice like wrap up, even though he's not done. He's actually going again in 2023 but um yeah it was just kind of a a big milestone for him so great i'm trying to think oh my word okay so all right so going back to do the race again from your perspectives I guess I'm curious to hear about the the biggest takeaways from doing it the first time and what you changed differently going in because you've you've kind of mentioned that you changed your ways and you went in with a different perspective now that you know what you're getting yourself into you can prep maybe a little bit better who knows how how much can you really prep who knows um but what were the the biggest things that you changed up just getting into it from time 1 to time 2 Yes sir Um well, just in general, you know, little technical hiccups that, you know, we were able to iron out um, better. And then from kind of a more of a creative standpoint, um, the whole, like how I mentioned in 2018, the footage is so like eyes wide open. Like that was, I mean, we were aware of that, but it almost wasn't intentional. It just kind of like happened because it had to happen like the footage this year is a little bit more like um we've seen a thing or two <laughs> like we know what we're doing we know what to look for um we know kind of like what storylines will likely evolve um and so it was just a little bit more intentional um in terms of uh knowing you know to kind of always get like an in an in and out in a scene kind of um that makes sense just um yeah just kind of knowing where the drama was gonna be because we'd seen it before you know thing things happen there's a ton of like overlapping themes and and things that kind of go wrong that kind of like always go wrong on ram that like are just kind of a part of it like the sleep and missing turns and you know um little kerfuffles between you know individuals or whatever um that we just kind of were more aware to like look out for 
Right. I feel like um, I almost think of it as we had a better uh, schedule the second time, just because knowing the race, like, for example, Dana mentioned Brago Springs, the, uh, Brago Spring, or at, going into Brago Springs is the glass elevator, one of the largest descents on Ram, where the racers get up to 60 miles an hour going down. And so the first time we're doing it, we're getting very offhanded, like, the glass elevator's coming up, and it's like, oh, okay, so we're capturing that on the fly. But now it's like, okay, we know that's happening. Let's have our drone ready. Let's, like, make sure we get a little pre-interview of, like, you know, who's taking it? Are they going to coordinate to be like, oh, this guy's the, the, the fastest on the descents? We get something about how vans um, are going to meet him at the bottom because vans won't be able to keep up going that fast. And you can kind of design a sequence a little bit more knowing what it is. And same thing with, you know, all of, I guess, the huge landmarks like Mon Monument Valley. We go through Gettysburg. We go through you know, Appalachians and uh, the Rockies, all of that. So you can kind of, um, we, we, having that foresight was very helpful from a schedule sort of point of view. Um, and actually, I would love to, or if that answers that so far. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> well, yeah, what do you want to jump into? I'd love to just touch on the intercutting or how, we're approaching having yeah how the how the movie works yeah. having two separate years inter interwoven yeah what's the what's the plan from the director's <laughs> standpoint here yes yeah well um as you can see on our kickstarter we, we're still cutting it but we've more or less written a lot of it but <laughs> um the idea is to stay more or less in the um present of one of the races the 2022 and find moments that allows us to intercut back into 2018 and beyond into the others. So we might have transitions like uh, Tim going to sleep in 2022 in the back of a van next to Tinker Juarez, and you know we fade out, <laughs> and all of a sudden we fade back in, and now he's in a rider van, but it's... Hiroko Kobayashi next to him and it's 2018 and we have a different 2018 sequence and then but like in the same place yeah but also in the same van and Tim has also touched on he's done it you know when you do it 20 times you kind of be like oh wait so in our crossing in 2012 we did we made this time but it was with these racers but our crossing in 2005 it's this and this and it so all kind of bleeds together just... So in the edit, we're going to try to capture this idea of done this so many times. Um, it's going to, it's like a cumulative um, piece. Obviously Tim's our main character. <laughs> and so a lot of this is because um, of what he's put together. So um, he's the constant through all of these is that, you know, he's there. Um, I will say just as a somewhat related side note like doing it the second time like there were points where um you know the first time was such a blur um and then you come back the second time and I remember like on like day two like coming to like this specific like gas station with like a barn on the side that like had like some painting on it that I remembered um and it was just like a weird moment of like oh wait 
I know this place. Because <laughs> in 2018, like, Bernie and all the guys that have done it a bunch of times, like, we would always be so um, impressed. Like, we'd just kind of, like, look at each other. Like, they'd say something like, oh, yeah, like, uh, we're coming up on blah, blah, blah road, and there's going to be a right-hand turn. And remember the stop sign there, and then you t and then you make a right. And we're just like, how do they know this? There are, like, thousands and thousands of turns throughout this race like and they like know like a specific stop sign and then um coming back in 2022 um i like noticed a few spots and i was like ooh, and <laughs> i know things and filmed them um so you'll see the yeah. you'll see the parallel of four years difference between <laughs> and kind of the difference locations. the difference between an eight-man team and a four-man team because naturally the eight-man team is going to go a little bit faster because their their riders get a little more rest time, their legs are a bit fresher, um, right? And so, um, coming up to a familiar landmark at like a different time of day, or like you know on a different even day, like you're you're twelve hours ahead of where we were in twenty eighteen or something like that. <laughs> I, I just just I guess a side note off that side note, it is a uh, very cool from a photography or I guess um, cinematography point of view is it's like a, it's like a free for all. I mean, we're shooting all hours of the day, all kinds of different locations and landscapes. Um, so we have so much cool stuff. We, we captured sunset and, you know, dusk and dawn and, you know, every day it was, it was great. Like we'd have all cameras up and of course the most beautiful times of day. And some of these storms we would go through were crazy too. Um, I don't know. It's just yeah, <laughs> I just lots got of lost beautiful landscapes and scenery to see. <laughs> I don't doubt it one bit. No, that's yeah, that's cool. Um, I'm trying to okay. I'm trying to think of like maybe is there anything before we, I wanted to jump into a little bit of uh, you two as individuals <laughs> oh, <no>. and. <laughs> And, uh, like, backgrounds in filmmaking in general and, like, where where you want to be headed with life and dreams and stuff. Oh, <laughs> uh, no pressure. But um, before we get into that, anything that we're missing on the doc that I didn't bring, that we didn't bring up yet, that, that our audience should, uh, that you, that we... Um... Sure, why not? <laughs> uh, I just want to point out that um, that as you've heard from all of this, that I really love these small independent documentaries that just happen. They come together, or even the ones that get big that you know we've all seen. I just love that how really a documentary is you pick up a camera and you capture an interesting story. And I really think that's what we did with this. Um, and I think that's what's going to give it its charm and what makes it unique and special is it, we just picked up cameras and captured this crazy story. Yeah, we all, we all kind of fell in love with documentary filmmaking as we did this. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was kind of intimidating going on going in because we'd never particularly done documentary work. Um, but it, like immediately we're all just like this is so fun like this is there's so much possibility in just capturing everything and seeing where the story goes mm -hmm. and not to i mean 
I love the big docs also. Um, but th I think there is almost when you're doing it on a kind of more indie scale, it lends itself to perhaps more authenticity or kind of more of a raw um, result because, you know, we don't have a helicopter <laughs> or we don't have, you know, have certain um, resources to capture in a certain way. But I think that that actually gives it perhaps a more... We've got the grit the grit it we we get to the truth um or yeah 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 just i'm i'm a big fan well, documentaries are wonderful in that way in general especially i feel like there's a lot of potential like you said with just the indie space it seems a little bit i don't know if, i don't feel like the difference there's lots of potential with an indie doc versus like an indie movie versus a budgeted movie. Like indie docs can still be incredibly captivating. Yes, and I know what you're saying. Yeah, I know what you're yeah. Saying. Can you say it better? Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, yeah, no, you, I don't know yeah, how to say Hen it, but I know what you're saying. You're, Henry was can... essentially saying it, but. Oh, I'm back. Um, uh, well, I'm yeah, back. basically. Um, like, I don't know, to say do sci-fi really well, like maybe a, a massive budget would help because you can build a bigger spaceship or whatever. But like indie doesn't necessarily need a massive budget to capture a human story or an intimate story. It's like you really just need to be there. You need to be plugged in and you need to film it. You know? Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, because I know, I know for me thinking about doing documentary, it sounds terrifying because I, you know, come from narrative space. So it's like, let's plan the, the exact story we're going to go in to get. Let's, these are the exact shots you want to get. This is where we're going to do it. But when you're jumping into, into a dock, especially the first time, you don't know exactly what the story is going in and thinking as directors, it's like, all right, well, that's why I'm like, is the, is the, the, I'm almost get confused on like, how does a director even make a documentary in the first place? It's like, but it's been, but it's been, okay, yeah. Well, we were there. So it's not like we're getting heaps and heaps of footage and try, and having to sift through it and find the story. We were there. We felt everything that was happening. We saw everything that was happening. And then just going back and rewatching the footage, it just kind of like, puts everything back into like you're just zeroing in on like what you experienced and what you saw other people experience and it's it's kind of easier in a way um than you know writing a script because the story is what the story is you know it may might not be exactly what we thought it was going to be going in but now that it's happened like the story is what the story is so i think i think it's interesting even even thinking about it, like directing a documentary just doesn't feel like the perfect fit just because we're also very heavily producing it and, and we're also, we're cinematographers on it and, you know, we're also our own coordinators, our own, all of these things. So it's not like we're just in there, you know, yelling at or action and cut kind of thing. It's more like just... Uh, I don't know. There almost needs another word. Yeah, I mean, you're there. You're there, living it, and yeah. you are just keeping your senses up on like what what the story is and 
putting little kernels in the back of the brain. I'm like, all right, I think this is where we're headed. And then, like you said, when you get to post, it becomes more clear. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is, this is, this is, yeah, this is where you are right now with yeah. the post. And like, because the story is largely about kind of like what people get out of RAM um, and and not just the riders, we are also exploring what the, the crew members kind of get out of it as well just the experience as a whole, us having that kind of firsthand experience, the first time experience and the, the return experience um, kind of makes it more like emotionally easy to tap into because we did it and we have our own feelings about, about um, what we've gotten out of Ram and it is a little bit of a universal thing. Um, And so having experienced it, obviously, um, makes that easier to map out great wonderful so the other thing i want to I'm just <laughs> the last thing that i didn't mention before but it just came to me now. yeah uh great so jumping into uh yeah i want i want people to learn more learn more about the individuals here and who are the creators behind behind this documentary so like I know, uh, Dana, you and I, like you mentioned before, we freelance as script supervisors. Um, <laughs> squeaky chair. Uh, and there's there's that. Henry. Kind of the odd man out. You work you work in the AD department, right? A lot. Uh, assistant director department production. Um, but we all have director stuff in our brains and whatnot but i'm trying to figure out like whether okay let's do a little bit of going back to the beginning and then also look into the future and i mean yes so henry do you want to start or sure um was born in uh, visalia california (laughs) great (laughs) do we start there wherever you want to start i guess like maybe what the what the I like to think about what the goals were, what the, what captured you in the beginning, what sent you in this creative direction initially growing up mm-hmm. and what the intention was then. Like, oh, I want to be a director. I want to be a writer or maybe you wanted to be an actor. Like, I don't know how you first got your initial steps into the, the, the film industry. Um, so maybe starting there on what piqued your curiosity to start. Yeah, sure. Oh, it's so easy talking about the doc, but <laughs> um, well, um, yeah. So I grew up in Central California, just three hours north of LA, um, on a dairy farm. Um, a lot of people don't realize how much agriculture is out there, um, but there's a lot, um, and kind of living in a small town. Um, you know, I guess we watched a good amount of movies and always intrigued. And I specifically remember the behind the scenes on a number of them, the VHSs. It's probably Star Wars. <laughs> and just kind of being like, oh, man, someone's making this. It just doesn't come out of nowhere. Um, so, yeah, it's probably similar to a lot of our, our stories where we just started picking up and making stories, you know, doing effects with in-camera um and uh, that became a big part of my thought process of uh, wanting to head that direction. Like, I loved it more than anything. Um, 
and then we would have reasons like my grandma lived in um you know southern california and so we would go visit and go through la and i'd see the big billboards and be like oh man la is kind of where it's at maybe i want to go to la and become a filmmaker um so yeah go to college uh <laughs> <Okay>. film school <laughs> well, i guess before you jump you're going, to, you're going too fast so you were saying that there was uh you were playing with stuff early like you picked up a camera somehow and started doing like in-camera effects and things like what like how, how old are you at this point like is this at back home is this at home with some camera that your parents had or is this was this at school through some program or something it was at home with the parents um i feel like the first one was like kind of a point and shoot digital camera that you could record video pause the video and then basically hit play on on recording and so in a you could almost edit in camera with that and so just just some classic have someone jump up and then pause and then they vanish um kind of have a move and that kind of stuff uh and then yeah of course oh a notable mention i have quite a few siblings who became <laughs> close collaborators and actors <laughs> close collaborators yes they they were happy to be involved or most were quite happy to be involved um yeah cousins too uh yeah, so, but then, you know, high, high school years, things got, the the stories got a little more complexity to them, you know, I started writing some scripts. <laughs> Air quotes over there, scripts. Uh, I was the, uh, I became the, like, film video guy for my high school that we would show, like, a five, seven minute short at pep rallies before a big football game and be starring like the quarterback or, um, and it'd be, or Mo the Hawk, our mascot on some sort of mission. Um, and then there were times where we'd, we'd shoot it and, uh, it would turn into live because we'd be in the full auditorium so like they'd run out a door in the video and then mo the hawk would run in and wow. um, then <laughs> then the cheer scott come out it'd be a dance number <laughs> and like so we kind of had this multimedia little little things that i kind of i guess was directing um <laughs> air quotes again um but all of that was just so fun um and so that's why I guess can I can I forward now? <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. That's why you you. So you never lost track of it throughout all that. You were kind of you became the guy, and you enjoyed being the the film guy. And yeah. And you're like, all right. Yeah. That's keep on the train. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's there's a good variety too. Zombie movies. <laughs> uh, got the whole drama class to be, become zombies. Um, anyways. Um, I could go into all these little micro productions if we want to spend. Well, time. I'm curious. <laughs> uh, no, I guess maybe, maybe, just to do a general sweep over that. Like, what kind of stories were you enjoying telling at that time? Like, what were you digging into in yourself during that that phase? Looking back, Whew. that's a good question, Eddie. <laughs> um, I think. Ah, oh, it's kind of tough because I do think there was a lot of vari varieties, like across genre. We had um, uh, 
Because I'm thinking, like, even right now when I'm making stuff, I know I made a thing earlier this year kind of just for fun with some friends. And um, my DP was like, Eddie, you're making a lot of stories about just, like, bad roommates here. Like, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I should probably stop venting about this bad, about the bad roommates situations. <laughs> so, I don't know, just that's surface I, level I, version I, of that. But I honestly think the biggest through line is probably trying to mimic or create something that I had seen. Because it would be like, oh, let's do a zombie movie like this. Let's do an a nerf war like that or um we even yeah we even had one that was more or less a full parody of uh like taken where the the quarterback gets kidnapped and like someone has to you know so it's probably a lot of um wanting to be like these filmmakers i admired yeah i mean that's Um, that's the yeah i guess a lot of us learn that way is let's copy the stuff that we like and try to replicate it and just kind of give that little twist to it to make it our own and that's Mm. that seems like right yeah yeah another another probably layer and then i'll stop on talking about my early childhood movies we love it we love it (laughs) um is for sure comedy is another through line um i always feel like making it maybe a little bit wacky or um have a little bit of goofiness to it f- made it feel more removed or from like um you know in in some ways um which just a notable mention i'm, I'm talking about my own like sort of narrative <laughs> conceptions the, the documentary brain is completely different yeah yeah even though there is plenty of comedic moments on on 30 on um but yeah, for example, even even the zombie movies, we'd like let's do the most gruesome <laughs> zombie blood guts everywhere. But then they get up and do like monster mash <laughs> or something, and it's like just a sh- oh, the tone always had like I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Should I pass it to Dana? Yeah, Dana. Let's talk, let's talk about Dana. <laughs> kind of like. <laughs> So let's hear about your child. Let's let's hear about your childhood. Let's hear about. <laughs> um, okay, so sweet script supervising. We don't have to dive into the craft of continuity here, but uh, we can. No, <clears throat> remind me to or, or remind. Let's let's share with uh, with the people at home. Who is Dana? Jeez. And uh, yeah, <laughs> what 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 got you? Because again, the title, you're both directors and producers on this doc. So, well, we started as just we were co directing, we kind of became producers as a necessity in yeah, you know, at, the at, indie field. You just kind of end up doing everything as you do <laughs> if you want to get it done exactly, you do it. And right. yeah, so flashing back on, on you, is, is directing something you want to do more of or? Uh, what got you started in in the, the film stuff? Yeah, so I had related to something that Henry said, basically. So my first kind of recollection of like watching a movie and like watching kind of like the behind the scenes things on like the DVD extras um, was the same thing of like you have. I think everyone kind of has that moment as a kid where you realize like, oh, someone's making this. And, like, I could do that. 
Um, and when I was like 12, um, Pirates of the Caribbean, the original, <laughs> and, Classic. The, and the Lord of the Rings were like on repeat, like repeat, repeat. <laughs> nice nice which is interesting because like it's not at all like the kind of genre stuff like i don't really uh gravitate towards genre stuff as an adult but those just totally captured my imagination i was obsessed with watching all the behind the scenes stuff um probably because i wanted to be a pirate but um as we all do yeah Um, (laughs) um but i i was my kind of like primary identity growing up was as an athlete. Um, I was always very creative, but never really like went towards it. I was always too busy with sports and stuff. And then, um, but always loved movies and kind of had this like daydream in the back of my head that maybe I would make them one day. But it was always very much like a like intangible kind of future daydream thing. Um, and so I originally went to college for marine biology. Um, I thought that was very practical and scientific. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, I kind of had a moment where I real, I mean, a lot of things happened to, to divert me from that path, but it essentially came down to a now or never kind of thing. Like if I wanted to try and become a filmmaker it was gonna have to be now um so I dropped out of college and went home and went to uh just the community college by my house just happened to have a really good film program um like super hands-on super like below the line like learn to grip and um do all the the stuff and below the line means for people that like don't know. Like crew, crew, not like, like directors that. and producers and actors. Below the line, it's like a... Like, I don't know, the boots on the ground, yeah, I guess. The, the, you know, the camera people, the art people, the grips, the lighting. The script soup? Script supervisor is also below the line. That's actually where I fell into script supervising was at Saddleback. Someone needed me to, or someone, I, we needed to like get on the like, you know, second year productions as like part of a credit um, and my teacher recommended me to one of the, the films, um, going out as just like, cause I was just like a studious girl. <laughs> script supervisor <laughs> vibes. Script supervisor vibes. And he was like, you want to script supervise? And I was like, I don't know what that is, but sure. Someone gave me like a five minute little intro course, which looking back was completely wrong. Um, and so I just started doing it on uh, student films, and then I started working, and then I panicked and said I need to go to school and get a degree. So I went to CSUN, where I met Henry, um, and started doing more film stuff there. Um, directed a couple shorts at Saddleback and at CSUN, and then and and all the while kind of uh, working as a script supervisor, um, kind of part time while I was in school, and then once I graduated, started doing it full time. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you and I have talked about this before where we kind of like, we want to kind of dip our toes in different things. I don't want to be like a full-time script supervisor. I like being able to like switch it up. So being able to direct things 
here and there is um, a really good change of pace. Um, and, you know, I do a bit of like art stuff too on the side and um, just in general, I get bored easily. So I like to be able to um, you got to keep it fresh, yeah, right? Yeah, got to keep it fresh. Got to do different things. Um, yeah, because we watch directors work all day as script supervisors, and sometimes you just you just need to get in there too and be like, all right, cool. And this, yeah, I don't know. Well, script supervising is such a like intense, like single, not single focus. You're focusing on a million things at one time, but it's like it's so intense and like singular that it's it's it is really and there are creative aspects to it yeah of course but um i'm a very hands-on person so i like to be able to like get out and do different things and be a little bit more creative yeah and script soup is almost kind of hands-off it's all yeah. it's, it's mostly it's internal in your work brain. it's like your brain is on fire for 14 hours <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then and then you speak up twice all day <laughs> yeah or, and know. then one of those times <laughs> you get completely ignored <laughs> sometimes and one of them they're like oh yeah okay well yeah it was my idea but okay <laughs> yeah yeah one is completely ignored and one is i don't know we'll think and then they think on it a little bit and they realize you're right yeah um yeah okay mm-hmm so okay what was the original question uh i was thinking Just about the initial intention getting into it so you, like you mentioned you fell into script supervising during during college but are you wanting to do like more uh, what do you want to do more of yeah, moving I forward would, is the question i would like to do more directing i would like to um get a little more into art department my whole thing is like i want to be able to do different things so I, I love being able to script supervise um sometimes and then go off and direct something like working on this is like a great outlet um and um, I work at an art studio for kids part time. That's fun. like my nice. my whole thing is just like I want my career to be like very diverse. Yeah, because I know I uh, I just came off of a feature end of last year in up in Lake Tahoe, and there was a uh, we had a guy our production designer I guess technically what he was. Um, he lives up in Tahoe, but he has a he's a part of like all the unions down here in LA. Mm -hmm. So he does the electric, he does production design, he does. So whenever he needs work or wants work, he just drives down here and hits up all his contacts. And he's like, "Yeah, I guess I'm production design today, or I'm helping out art today, or I'm helping out this today." Dude, that's where I need to get. I don't just like live <laughs> in Big Bear and snowboard and then come down the mountain for jobs once in a while. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, okay, all right. What's up, Henry? Okay. <laughs> uh, what else do I got here? Um, all right. Yeah, going back to Henry, I guess, for just maybe to wind us down. But moving forward for you, um, what do you want to be doing more of? Because I know, like, you, you get to – you've – worked on quite many different types of sets, like this this documentary experience here versus um, versus like uh, second ADing bigger shows or first ADing medium indie shows or like there's you're kind of 
it seems like you 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 dip around in many different spaces so where do, where do you ideally want want to where do you want to be <laughs> yeah that's a really that's a good question um it's one of those things where uh i guess my my go-to response is like i keep working on everyone else's movies and productions and shows um with the goal of to keep working on my own and our own um on this one so it's uh and that's just kind of what you got to do you gotta keep paying rent and working on all this other stuff so i almost have two different tracks i have my sort of career to keep me um you know i guess what i consider my work uh, or my i don't know my work work and then i have my creative work <laughs> they're two different lanes um so on the work front uh it is a lot of assistant director um I, like I said briefly earlier, I started as assistant camera um, and then was on a lot of very chaotic music videos <laughs> um, where I could clearly see night and day of when they had an AD and when they did not have an AD. Stay, away from, <laughs> stay away from music videos, kids. When they have an AD, it was like, this is like, uh, well, you know, it's, uh, some somebody's thinking about the most efficient game plan um and i was inspired by that and there were a few that come to mind where i'm like wow that's like impress that's a cool job i'm interested um and so i started second ading and it's always interesting because like uh it's kind of there's only a lot of times only the two the first and the second um so I've only worked with, you know, probably four or five different first ADs um, as a second AD um, and just repeat a lot of productions with those same people. You become like a... Yeah, you become their go-to. Team. And, and <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, and to clarify for people, second AD is like first ADs managing the main set and second AD is usually at some sort of base camp. Mm-hmm and doing it's yeah it's a i don't know how, how would you describe second ad for people that don't know yeah yeah um well it's it's good to think of it like uh like <laughs> like a christmas carol honestly the the, the first ad is the ghost of christmas present <laughs> the, the second ad deals with the future they're, they're building the call sheet for the next day the first ad is handling what's happening in the moment and then if you have a second second ad a lot of times they're doing like production reports in addition to the present moment so like it's kind of like the past but yeah the second usually is in the office making uh the call sheets for the very next day they send out the preliminary ones to all the department heads make sure everybody knows what's going on you're helping keeping track of the crew who's on who's off if we need a specialty food stylist or we need a stunt coordinator which actors are you're giving all the actors a heads up second eighty is almost like a kiosk of information on the schedule and what you're shooting um and then you know sometimes it's like oh this actor lost availability on wednesday so we gotta move thursday stuff to wednesday and rebook this person here and it's like this domino effect the whole schedule shifting and so a lot of times the second is dealing with that kind of things it's looking at a calendar all day honestly yeah you deal with that and then you find your moments to sneak in with the first and talk through it and then go back and adjust and blah blah right. blah because they have information you have information right 
or fun, the it's fun stuff. The first is like we're a little behind. We're gonna push the scene to tomorrow or whatever, and then you got to rechange your call sheet and all that. Um, so yeah, I've done second for a while, but then um, this last year, year and a half or so, I've been dipping my toes more into the first AD as well, um, which. It's all of that and being plugged into all of that, but you're also boots on the ground on set, like um, kind of like the, I always say it's kind of like a COO, where it's like operations, like we make sure, okay, we're going to wrap out of this, make sure we're prepping the next stage for moving. And it's like basically like an efficiency manager, you know, there's no lost time. Um so I, I will say, I, uh, I've always thought that if I'm working on other people's stuff, I kind of like being an AD and doing AD work. There's, there's, there's a thrill of a good schedule or a good, or a good call sheet or a day that's like, wow, we scheduled this perfectly. We had just enough time. Or um, so, And I like that you do have to interact with every single department. you got to know what the DP is thinking, that it's going to take extra time to move this crane or this whatever in, and costume needs extra time for this. And it's that kiosk idea of being kind of, I guess, Yeah, you're a central hub. Or, yeah. 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 So that that's kind of a fun place to be, I, I think. Um, and uh, I hope to keep keep going down that path while also doing, you know, obviously this documentary is a big, a big thing we've been working on for years. Um, so we've been nurturing that. And, um, so it's kind of like a, almost like the, the classic one for you, one for me kind of thing, except it's more, a little bit more for them. And it's like three for them, <laughs> one for me. Yeah. <laughs> and then sometimes it's like, yeah. I, I mean, that's the what timing. we do. I mean, yeah, I'm in the same boat here. Mm, you know, yeah, script supervisor growing up that and then on the side directing stuff and writing stuff and mm -hmm. growing yeah going down both lanes so here we are mm -hmm. <sighs> <sighs> great all right um i feel like that's pretty much it we did a great good work everybody yes. it's the end thanks, of the Eddie. show thanks for having us yeah no thanks for being on we're just going to go ahead and, and throw some links and plugs at the at everybody so let's clarify where can we find you as individuals and then we'll spotlight the the doc one more time on all my socials i'm hash browns 101 <laughs> hit me up i'm probably on instagram the most but i don't know um i am dk underscore smitty on instagram that's usually where i am the most um and then our Socials for 30 on are all 30 on doc.com is the website and then just at 30 on doc. Um, and that's 30 like the number but spelled out on and doc doc. Great. All right. Well, uh, yeah, thanks again. That's the show. And uh, I do support indie documentary. Help us make this movie. Do it. Do it. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> Click. Click now. All right. Ram. Okay. All right. Bye, everybody. Boom, 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 boom.